Um, a lot of people said, well, David, you've got so much potential. You're, you're, some people would say, you're really, you're really smart, when I, of course, didn't think I was. You have so much potential, but there was never, never anything else beyond that. It wasn't until sitting down with some people and say, well, let's talk about potential. Let's actually explore the opportunities in front of you that you could take advantage of. That's a different conversation. Welcome to the Mindfulness Experience Podcast. My name is Keith Fiveson. On this podcast, I had the pleasure of speaking with Mr. David Whitesock. David is a leader and the inventor of the Recovery Capital Index. This is something that uses a multi-dimensional survey tool to measure addiction and well-being. David is a man who is consistently thinking and he's curious about a lot of things and he believes that when we're fully aware of what, where and how things relate, we can understand the effects and modify the mechanisms in between ourselves and others for the greater good. I had a delightful conversation with David about his work and the impact that he's making in the recovery field and his perspectives on individual use, misuse and the recovery space in general. I thoroughly enjoyed speaking with him, and I hope you enjoy listening to him. Enjoy the show. All right. So, hey, 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 David Whitesock. Oh, my goodness gracious. What is going on, David? What's happening? Uh, you know, I'm spending a little <laughs> bit of my day with you, Keith. Ah, <laughs> uh, okay, all right. Well, that's good. That's good. But you're, you're, you know, you are up to some, some, some great stuff. Uh, like it's uh, commonly well that you are doing well stuff. So, what is going on with? What do you do, David? Tell, tell people what what do you do? I mean, you know, what's up? So, on a nutshell, on, on the head of yeah. a pin, I yeah. help uh, behavioral health. Uh, healthcare organizations, addiction treatment providers, figure out whether or not what they do works. Ah, so whether or not what they do works. And, you know, I'm, I'm really, uh, I'm wondering, you know, you're involved with the rehab model, right? You're working yeah. with a lot of rehabs. And, you know, I'm, one of the things I'm, I'm very aware of in that space is that you know, we really have uh, an epidemic on our hands, uh, you know, uh, nationally, uh, it's, it's, it's huge. And I'm wondering, does the rehab model work or is it, I mean, is it broken? Is it working? No, it's not working and it doesn't work for most people. Um, why? I think the why it's not set up to meet. And, and this sounds very cliche because the phrase is out there, but it doesn't, it doesn't really meet people exactly where they're at in their life. Mm -hmm. So the rehab model says, um, Keith, you mm -hmm. have a problem. Everybody mm -hmm. else thing, seems to think you have a problem. We're going to go send you away for 30, 60, 90 days to some mm -hmm. place mm -hmm. that has almost zero or no relation to you or your life. Mm -hmm. And we're going to expect that upon that respite, you're mm -hmm. going to come back into the exact same environment mm -hmm. and magic will have occurred. Mm -hmm. and, and that does not work for most people. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and in the middle of that is a whole lot of behavioral and brain science. Are people activated the right way? Are they motivated mm -hmm. in the right way? Have they turned on a particular motivation? Mm -hmm. Have they found the thing that drives them to not engage in the same negative consequences that they, they had been? 
It's hmm. incredibly complex. And yet what we do is we remove people from certain life circumstances where the some of the positives that really hmm. could be in a person's life, we set those on hold. And we say, hmm. no, 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 we'll get back to those later, but we've got to like tear you down and mm -hmm. rebuild you. Mm. And I think for most people, that just doesn't work. Does it work for the Marines? Sure, mm -hmm. but that's a mm -hmm. different environment you're going into. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And 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 you know, I'm not sure that it really uh, like deals with some of the real systemic issues that might be at, at, at hand here. And yeah. you know, you you seem to have created a model. Uh, it's uh, this RCI, the Recovery Capital Index. And I'm wondering, uh, you know, I want to hear about that, but tell me a little bit about your journey. I mean, you've, you know, you come out of this not from like on high. You seem to be a guy that's very intelligent, but you also have some real firsthand experience having gone through the system. And you've got some very interesting uh, experience and background. Can you tell me a little bit about your journey and uh, why are you doing what you're doing now? What 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 is this? What's the purpose and what why does this mean so much to you? Well, I think for two reasons. I lived in a community that, mm -hmm. if you looked at it from the outside, this is Grand Forks, North Dakota. Mm -hmm. If you looked at it from the outside, it was North Dakota. North wow. Dakota. Um, it's cold up there. It's cold. It keeps the riffraff out. Um, and it has, it pretty much had everything anybody would need mm. in terms of building a thriving life. And a lot of people mm -hmm. thrive in that less urban, um, still in touch to some rural roots kind of environment. Mm -hmm. it, it wasn't poor, right? Uh, you know, we had a median income of you know 55K. Mm -hmm. People made good money. There were great businesses there. There was a great social and community structure. All of those things are well and good. Now, when you say um, you were in a community, you were in a recovery community there. Not right? yet. No, I was oh, just I see, in see. a community that, that seemed I, to be pretty supportive. Uh -huh. But here was the thing. Um, that community had a deep association mm. to alcohol mm. and, and a big, heavy drinking culture, mm -hmm. which, which hid a lot of the underlying stress, emotional distress, and other things going on in people's lives that just didn't ever make it to the surface to get healed. So uh, I came out of high school, tried to go become an architect at North Dakota State. Mm -hmm. um, that's when I found alcohol. It mm -hmm. actually helped me realize that the thing I struggled with for a long time, since like the age of 10 or 11, was social anxiety mm. and depression. Mm -hmm. So alcohol sort of flipped a switch for me and said, oh, wait, you can't actually fit in here. Mm -hmm. um, but at the very same time, I couldn't turn that switch off. Mm -hmm. And so I failed out of college, got into a broadcasting career uh, mm -hmm. doing radio. Mm -hmm. That was a 10 year career. I was on a pretty good trajectory of success. Mm -hmm. um, but in the middle of all that, I just got embedded into the deep drinking culture of that community. Mm -hmm. And I was uh, basically a salamander, mm -hmm. right? I could, I could mix and move my way through mm -hmm. wherever I needed to be. Mm -hmm. But yet there were some people around me that knew I was deeply sick. Mm -hmm. Um, but through all of that, I ended up in the criminal justice system, multiple DUIs, mm -hmm. uh, a fourth DUI lost my radio gig, uh, mm -hmm. at least the one that was sustaining me at the time. Mm -hmm. And so how did I get to where I am? You know, I'll just kind of, we'll skip over it, but maybe we go back to some of the details of the how, mm -hmm. um, it was just a matter of getting to a, a place where everything I had was gone in a jail facing a felony in nowhere, South Dakota, mm -hmm. trying to revive my radio career for one last time. 
-hmm. got a fifth DUI and basically everybody in my life said, Mm -hmm. we're done with you. And so I had, I, I, I had to accept a moment of, of hitting restart. Mm -hmm. And that was 2005. Mm. And since then I've just been on a, uh, a personal desire to figure out how do we actually get Mm -hmm. to the root causes? Mm -hmm. I don't want, we have, I mean, for a lot of what we have to do and a lot of my customers and the people I work with, they're at the bottom of the waterfall because that's where Mm -hmm. the system is. And a lot of people are coming through there and we need to help Mm -hmm. those people get well. Right. But at the end of the day, I'd rather wake up and not hear somebody's recovery story. I'd rather hear somebody's um, movement into opportunity, purpose, and and passion through Mm -hmm. a path that didn't necessarily have Mm -hmm. addiction as an adversity. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so that's that's what I get up every day is to figure out, can we solve some of the underlying things that create addiction, eliminate them through design, through the way we build our communities, the way we build our cities, where we design our systems, and, and just root that out. Mm-hmm. There are other things of stress and strife in the world. There always have been. Right. Addiction right. doesn't have to be one of them. Now you were now you like didn't do this by yourself, right? You were involved with Face It Together. That's an organization, and you were the chief innovation officer over there, as I understand it. And then you sort of branched out. You went out on your own. You started this commonly well. So uh, and you're still involved with them. What is Face It Together? Because as you and I have talked, I've always admired the organization uh, for uh, their innovation and their thinking about how to go ahead and actually work with people on a not only in, in, in treatment, but also remotely to go ahead and really connect with people in different ways. So can you kind of do you want to talk about your experience over there for a, a little bit? Yeah, and it was pretty formative. Mm-hmm. Um, and my tie to that is both personal and professional. Mm hmm. Uh, so when I ended up in Sioux Falls, South Dakota, uh, after coming out of jail from, you know, 157 days, mm-hmm. I, I landed in a sober home, a recovery home mm-hmm. that was founded by a guy named Kevin Kirby. Mm-hmm. Uh, I met him on my second day. He came by to pick me up from the house and, and drive over to a 12 step meeting. Mm-hmm. And, um, from that moment, I mm. kind of got a sense of sort of who he was and what he was trying to do. And. And just, you know, to keep it short, you know, he spent five months, four months at Hazel and Betty Ford after two years of, of uh, a deep struggle with addiction himself, was a serial entrepreneur in, in town. He, he had um, created a very uh, prosperous life for himself and his family. Yeah. And all of that was at risk. And as he was prompted to look around the community, he was just doing the math because mm. you know, entrepreneurs like to do math before they get started on something. Mm-hmm. And he's like, it took him everything that he had, right? It, every, and he had all the resources possible. And there were 18, at least 18,000 people in Sioux Falls, South Dakota, mm-hmm. who were struggling the way he was. Mm-hmm. Yet maybe 2,000 of them got care mm-hmm. in a given year. And he's like, what about the rest of them? What's the cost right. of this to our community? It's, 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 mm-hmm. it's limiting our potential. Mm-hmm. And so he looked around and he said, what can I do? Uh, well, mm-hmm. Silver Homes was easy. <laughs> You know, he had to sue right. the city of Sioux Falls a couple of times, but you know, hey, mm-hmm. we'll do it. The right. second one was create a retreat style place where you could mm-hmm. go and learn the 12 steps for 30 days. Right. And then right. okay, that was easy. Buy some land, mm-hmm. create a model. And the last piece was face it together. Mm-hmm. How do you take people with a certain lived experience, whether it's 12 step or trauma or counseling or whatever that experience is, people who've overcome this 
and put them in a place where if Keith walked through the door or picked mm -hmm. up the phone, mm -hmm. one, we understood your language, we knew where you were coming from, and we could help you navigate to the next thing you need mm -hmm. to help right. you on a journey to get well. Right. Not necessarily to have you join a recovery community, not necessarily mm -hmm. for you to become an advocate, not mm -hmm. necessarily for you to become a coach. We weren't, mm -hmm. this wasn't to get you into something. This was right. to get you well. To connect you. I mean, uh, that was one of the things I, uh, and I had, you know, I, I was, I had the opportunity uh, years ago to look at Kevin Kirby's background and his ex experience. And I've heard some of his talks and, you know, just a very uh, insightful, genuine kind of a guy. And I think what you, I, I, I think from an innovation viewpoint, you were, definitely involved with some key innovations to go ahead and bring technology into the forefront uh, to help individuals to connect in different ways. How, how does that work now with what you're doing with uh, RCI? I, I understand that you're, you've got these three specific areas that you're looking at to measure wellness. You've got the personal area, the social, the cultural level. And, you know, there are like uh, 22 components. Is that right? Yeah. So, so t tell me, how does that sort of integrate into like where you came from, where you're now and where you think this whole area might be going, given your, given your experience? I mean, it's pretty innovative. Yeah. So my, my job at Face It Together when I first mm -hmm. got there was really to take what had been built in Sioux Falls, put it into a a franchise like box mm -hmm. and then take it to other communities. I had just right. come out of law school. And, um, you know, for me as a convicted felon to get to law school, that was a bit of a, of a hurdle to overcome. And it was in that, that year long period of trying to get licensed that uh, two things were happening. One, I was trying to package face it together as a franchise. And then two, um, I was trying to get my license to be a practicing lawyer. Mm -hmm. Now in the middle of that, um, I'm studying the 14 elements of mm. good moral character. And they're things like financial, well-being, trust, those sorts mm -hmm. of things. But as I'm sitting at my desk one Friday, um, there's a meeting going on in, in, in a, a conference room, Kevin and our other co-founder, Charlie, and they're meeting with the CEO of a health system. Everybody else is gone on this Friday afternoon. And I'm sitting there quiet one day and the, apparently the CEO of the health system said to our two co-founders, we love the recovery stories that you tell. Mm -hmm. uh, they're meaningful. We need them. Um, people get hope from them. They see a future for themselves. Keep doing that, but it's not data. Mm. And so Charlie, who was a former um, Price Waterhouse guy, CPA, mm -hmm. mergers, acquisitions, one of the most brilliant people I've ever come across, mm -hmm. lived by the mantra that if you hear something in a meeting that you're supposed to hear, the meeting is over. Mm -hmm. So he walked straight over to my desk and he says, David, you've got 30 days, mm. figure out how to measure recovery. Mm. Now recovery was the word that we had. And I kind of looked at him and I said, well, I'm like 9,000 days sober. Isn't, isn't that the metric? And he goes, I don't think that's the metric. And he was, a uh, he really struggled with diabetes. Mm -hmm. Um, and he's like, no, we know too much about chronic disease. This, mm -hmm. this, this isn't about just how many drinks you had or didn't have. And so mm -hmm. I had the great fortune in this organization to just, you know, like from the matrix, mm -hmm. you know, here's the red pill, here's the blue right, pill. Right. My <laughs> nature is I'm going to take them both. And so I spent the next six months in a room mm. going down every rabbit hole around mm -hmm. social capital, well-being, joy, flourishing, mm -hmm. happiness. How do we measure those things? Mm -hmm. How do we measure 
the human condition that we don't yeah. necessarily see. Yeah. Yeah. How do how do how do we measure those things, Dave? Well, Gallup would tell you that we ask a couple of very simple questions. Right. We have you observe your life mm-hmm. and where it is, where you think it is on the rung of a ladder today. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and where you think it's going to be on that exact same letter five years from now. Mm-hmm. Now, that's like in its most simple form. Right. But there's folks at Harvard that have measuring, been measuring happiness now for the last 84 years. Mm-hmm. Um, some of the same people over the course of generations, mm-hmm. right? Right. So we know, we know how to do this. There are instruments to do that. But in the recovery space, that had been mm-hmm. so dismissed because there was, such the, there was such a tie. And in the addiction treatment space, mm-hmm such a tie to mm-hmm. is Keith sober or not mm-hmm. right we, we don't care about anything else we don't care if you know he's new now gainfully employed mm-hmm. we don't care if he's started this podcast we don't care if he's found his way to something right. else no 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 it's just one measure is he sober or is he not and that yeah, becomes the measure that we were on this binary mm-hmm. one or zero plane and so mm-hmm. never um, mind all- never mind whether or not I'm well or I feel healthy, or I feel positive, or I have good relationships, or all of those other things about self-determination and the ability to contribute. Yeah, you spend a little bit of time just mm-hmm. thinking about, you know, you just take psychology 101. Mm-hmm. You're going to run into Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Mm-hmm. And and then you can just pause right there and go, well, wait a minute, I don't see any of this mm-hmm. in our addiction treatment system. Right. Um, now, you talked about the three domains of recovery capital. So recovery capital uh, was a construct that was coined by a couple of researchers at the University of Denver. They were social workers mm-hmm. and they dealt with folks with drug and alcohol problems. Mm-hmm. And so they kind of came from this social capital space, right? which had been researched for 40, 50 years. They were adherents to it. Mm-hmm. But the more research they did, the more that they talked to the people that they helped, um, what they found was there was just more to the relationship assets. Mm-hmm. So when we think about 12 steps and AA meetings, you know, what's going on there? Hmm. It's building social capital. Right. Is really what that is. Right. Um, but outside of that, when we start to think about purpose, mm-hmm. our values, beliefs, that's cultural mm-hmm. capital. And then they, they, they talked a little bit more and they said, well, what about personal capital? What about human capital? What about my job? What about um, transportation, financial well-being, mental and emotional mm-hmm. fitness? Mm-hmm. Okay, how do we uh, account for those? Mm-hmm. And then the, to- the the term recovery capital is coined. And so in my job, it just made sense that we had 100, 200, 300 people coming in a month. Mm-hmm. We could start to ask questions that had already been asked around the globe mm-hmm. millions of times, get some feedback, and then reframe it mm-hmm. so that if we did this on a regular basis, mm-hmm. we could actually get a measure of your progress mm-hmm. relative Mm. to your own recovery, whatever that happens to be internal and external factors. Right. So when you say uh, reframe it and, and and then measure it on a regular basis, how do you wind up measuring it? Do you do you phone people up? Do you text them? Do you do you write them emails? Do you ask them to go ahead and figure, you know, answer a, a, a questionnaire on a pretty regular basis? What 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 does it look like? For someone who is struggling with sobriety or or maybe not even struggling with sobriety, just struggling to go ahead and show up for their own lives, you know, and, and sobriety is just one piece of it. Tell, tell me a little bit. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah. So this is where my background in technology comes mm-hmm. in and communications. Mm-hmm. Um, so 
it's it's a set of questions. So mm -hmm. there are actually 68 items. They're not questions, they're statements. Mm. And then you either agree or disagree mm -hmm. on, a, on a scale uh, with the statement. Mm -hmm. And, you know, so the 68 gives us the full complete view. Mm. Now, for some folks that might be coming out of detox or um, still in a, a pretty heightened state of chaos, Mm -hmm. Sitting down to review those can be challenging. So over the years, we worked out because we had enough data, mm -hmm. we could figure out uh, what what questions could we put into shorter versions. Mm -hmm. So there's a 36 item version and a 10 item version. Mm -hmm. And so we can at least get a pulse. Mm -hmm. We can kind of get a sense. But so, so, so do you get a baseline? Do you wind yep. up you wind up like, okay, uh, here I'm 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 now considering going into into detox or into rehab whatever it is so here's my baseline this is where yeah. i'm at now and then post rehab detox there's another baseline and then do you how often do you do that yeah so we we do it whenever it makes sense mm -hmm. um to get that baseline if it's mm -hmm. before detox fine mm -hmm. if it's after that's fine too we we like to think of it as you know you can put a fitbit on your wrist right and just start measuring your steps it doesn't matter if you started yesterday or today mm -hmm. Right. You just got to start doing it because um, the difference between yesterday and today is not going to actually be that that mm -hmm. much. Right. So, yeah, we get the baseline and then we try to do it every 30 days for up to a year. Every 30 days up to a year. So 12 times a year. 12 times. It takes you less than five minutes to do an inventory of your life. Mm -hmm. These are observations of your life. Mm -hmm. um, there's nobody else that could tell us what mm -hmm. that's like except mm -hmm. for you. Mm -hmm. And then we can supplement that kind of objective measure that you're giving. Mm -hmm. um, I should pause and just say it's a subjective measure of your life, but we right. can make it objective. So you use a like art scale, yes, no, you Correct. know, maybe so, whatever. And right. then we, 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 we correspond that to a conversation that you're going to have with a coach, a therapist, a doctor, mm -hmm. because you're going to say things in conversation mm -hmm. that are going to be quite relevant. But let's say you are that person that isn't very talkative. Mm -hmm. Maybe you still have a lot of shame, mm -hmm. but you know, you filled out the 68 items. Mm -hmm. If I'm a coach mm -hmm. or a therapist, and this is what we train our organizations mm -hmm. to do is mm -hmm. to take one of those, whether it's a score that goes up or a score that goes down, um, to take one of those items and use that as the prompt or the catalyst right. to say, okay, now how can I help you? Mm -hmm. So you look at the standouts, you look at what, uh, what's, what's really changed that you have those 68, the 20 or the 10, I, you know, somewhere along that, I, I think I've got those numbers, right. And, uh, or maybe I'm off a little bit, but, uh, in any case, you use those on a pretty regular basis, depending upon now, what are the scales and measures given whether or not I get 68 or I get 20 or 10, where, where does that, where does that, you know, where are the variants at? Yeah, we try to start everybody and we try to start every organization doing the full 68 item okay. questionnaire. And, and part of the reason for that is if you walked into the doctor mm -hmm. and the doctor said, you know what, uh, Keith, I think I'm just going to stare at your face. Mm -hmm. Don't say anything. I'm just going to look at your face and I'll determine whether or not I think <laughs> you're sick. Um, you'd laugh at that doctor, mm -hmm. right? And so, you know, when you go in for the for an initial exam, Maybe there's some blood drawn. We're right. you know doing your heart rate. We're gonna have you step on a scale. We're gonna tap your knee. We're gonna right. do a whole bunch of stuff. So go through the motions. Yeah. We're gonna go through the motions because I need to kind of look at the whole body, right? Mm -hmm. Now we could have we could have a whole conversation here about how that doc is not asking mm -hmm. about your brain, but 
that's another thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so right. um, some, some health systems are, are changing that. And so that's what we want to do with the 68 is kind of get that full inventory. Mm-hmm. Because mm-hmm. from there, the next thing we could do is we could just pare that down and we could do the 36 items, you know, the next 30 days. Some organizations have chosen that the way they like to set up the cadence is mm-hmm. 68 baseline, 10, 10, 10, 68. 10, 10, 10, 68, right? I see. And in the middle of that is where technology comes in because I, I can imagine a lot of people listening to this right now, they're they're saying, I, I don't want to do thir- 68 questions every right. every 30 days. Um, yeah, I, but there's there's something there's something I want to make sure that we talk about here because one of the things I heard you say is it's not just about the 68, the 20, the 10, whatever it is. It's really yeah. about the intervention, you know, yes. the, the the ability to go ahead and have a service intervention, sort of having a coach present who kind of checks in with you because if there is anything that stands out. So is that a service that you provide as well? Yeah, we don't we don't do the the actual coaching part of it, but right. what we do is we set up organizations to be um good readers of the information. So Got it. the, the, the behavioral challenge in all of this mm-hmm. is most people don't like to complete surveys to begin with. Right. So we've got to create a mechanism for communication. Mm-hmm. So where we've landed on and we've built mobile apps, I've built patient portals. Mm-hmm. People don't like to use those things, but every day, all day, people are text messaging. Mm-hmm. So if we can create a, synchronous and asynchronous communication back and forth between client and therapist or coach, um, what happens is the survey just becomes part of that information stream. Mm. Mm-hmm. So I complete it. I complete the RCI. Mm-hmm. It scores on a scale of one to 100. Let's say I get a 60. It's four points up from last time. The coach or the therapist sees that and can mm-hmm. immediately send mm-hmm. you a text message and say, mm-hmm. You know, David, great job. It looks like you're going in the right direction. Whatever you're doing, just mm-hmm. keep doing it. I can't mm-hmm. wait to see you on Friday and, and hear more. Great. So what you wind up doing is this is an overlay to a regular service option that any rehab or any organization might have with their, um, you know, with their with their clients. And you're basically offering this as a as an add on service. Is that is that true? That's basically it. And what okay. we're doing is we are helping the organization become a bit more data literate. Mm-hmm. Um, we're helping them extend their level of service beyond just the episode of care mm-hmm. in a very inexpensive kind of way. Mm-hmm. And then at the end of the day, um, as David and Keith and a whole bunch of other people have gone through the program, mm-hmm. because we've extended that opportunity of measurement, mm-hmm. we use the data in the care but mm-hmm. now we've got that same thread long-term and we can actually show mm-hmm. to our stakeholders, whether they be um, donors, mm-hmm. whether they be the community, right. or whether they be family members or other patients, here's how well we do. Right. right. Here's the effect right. that we have on the people whom we serve. So, you know, for, for, for me, when I was starting to look over everything, you know, this is the name of the show is the mindfulness experience. And, uh, you know, uh, there are really uh, eight domains of mindfulness experience. Uh, there's the internal, the external, the internal domains are the mind, the body, the, 
uh, spirit, the ability to breathe and to breathe life into the world, the ability to eat right and reach uh, fuel right, and the ability to recharge. Those are sort of the internal mechanisms. And then the external mechanisms are the environment, the environment you keep, the environment you go into, as well as your relationships, and then the aspirations. So those are the three external measurements. And when I was looking at you know, what you were doing in terms of the personal, the social and the cultural level, there was a lot of, in my mind, there was a lot of overlay here. You know, it, it really is sort of like, you know, if, if you're feeling good on the inside, the chances are you're going to, you know, go into the world and you're going to see other people with a different perspective and you're measuring this. Do you measure it uh, when you send out your tool, when you send out your, your monthly survey, do you do it by email? Do you text people? How do you wind up doing that? Yeah, it goes by text. Um, we've done email in the past, but we find email gets a little bit less response rate. Mm -hmm. Email is actually good for um, some internal systems that maybe an individual doesn't have a smartphone, but mm -hmm. we know that about 98, 97% of the American public has a smartphone. So mm -hmm. uh, it goes by a text message. You opt into it. So you'll send a keyword or use mm -hmm. a QR code um, and you'll get a welcome message that has a link mm. and the link opens up uh, a web browser. Got it. It's like SurveyMonkey or Qualtrics mm -hmm. or something. Right. We have our, our own um, uh, assessment engine. Mm -hmm. and you complete it and it links back to your number your phone number mm -hmm. a, a secure private system that we've mm -hmm. developed um and then we can now communicate back and forth via text beautiful beautiful i love it you know we're doing work uh, in the mindful text area yeah. like using using mindful using text messaging as a as a way to go ahead and 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 relate self-care and the ability to breathe the ability to regulate the ability to go back online versus getting you know triggered or you know uh, and, and to me that you know that really is one way to go ahead and continue to go ahead and be operational if you will uh are you doing any kind of stuff around that you know around that area in terms of self-care or education or i'm sure you're doing something that helps people to regulate right yeah so we've now we've been doing this for about eight years. We've got enough data to, to be dangerous. Mm -hmm. And so what we're really trying to do is be intentional about how we can create some micro learning opportunities mm -hmm. out right. of the data. So, you know, we're, we're building some, some very short challenges based upon personal capital, social capital, cultural, let's just say um, purpose, for instance, mm -hmm. let's say your, your purpose score is really low. How can we prompt you? Uh, if that's a low place to explore hmm. how to find your purpose. Mm -hmm. So we've been, we've been doing some research to figure out what's the best, you know, way to do that. Uh, what are the best evidence-based practices that might exist out there? Mm -hmm. um, and then we can feed that. You can opt in and say, yes, text mm -hmm. purpose and get this four day text challenge mm -hmm. on how to find your purpose. Right. Mm -hmm. Beautiful. Maybe, maybe you won't find it at the end of these four days. Mm -hmm. That's not, that's not, Right, but it gives you it gives you while you're in the conversation what you think about you bring about so that's right you know that's that's great so and and then you know I have a question for you which is a uh, just to kind of go offline here on your website you said you had a quote which I thought was a great quote uh, which said I see life as a passageway with no fixed beginning or destination. We tend to focus on the destination and forget about and forget 
about the in-between spaces. What does that mean to you? And and how does it how do you how do you like you had that it was very prominent on your website. So I figure that it's kind of prominent for you in your uh you know in your ethos if you will uh in terms of the way you operate. So can you tell me a little bit about that and what that kind of means? Yeah, well, uh, first I'll tell you where I first yeah. saw that quote. Yeah. Uh, I saw it in Denmark at an exhibit for Doho Su, who was the architect, and you you walked through this, um, it was about 70, 80 yards, mm -hmm. and what they had done is created about seven or eight uh, houses made out of silk, mm. and each of them were a different color, mm -hmm. incredibly ornate, and you start on one end and you physically walk mm. through Hmm. Like, uh, this is a whole passageway experience. Yeah, exactly. And as I was doing that for the first time, and I was, I was thinking about those words, it occurred to me that most of the way that we think about progress hmm. is we put a point at the end of some space and we go, well, that's all we care about mm -hmm. is just that moment. And in relation to people like myself or others who've experienced addiction, mm -hmm. that happens all the time. We get forgot about the moment we get sort of nudged into the journey, mm -hmm. less, less checking in, less looking in between of, of, you know, when you leave a place and you're going to the next one. Right. And right. I think we do that a lot in a lot of things that we design. Mm -hmm. We don't think about the other touch points. If mm -hmm. We think about, you know, customer experience journeys. Mm -hmm. Right. There are micro touch points mm -hmm. in yeah. between the two big spaces. Mm -hmm. And I think we got to give a bit more consideration to those in our design process, mm -hmm. because those are the ones where the wind continues to blow in the back of the sail, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. as opposed to just like one big burst at the beginning and think, mm -hmm. oh, well, we got you off on the right foot. Good luck. Mm -hmm. and, mm -hmm. and, and I it's, think that's, it's that's sort, what we sort of like the space in between the you know, first sip of coffee and the, and the, and the next, I mean, I, we, I, I think we talked about this before and I call them, I've, I've called them for quite a while, these sacred moments of truth, They're just little, you know, like in between the raindrops, being able to go ahead and have those just kind of moments, you know? Yeah. And I always, um, I go back to say Robert Kennedy's, mm -hmm. um, ripple of hope speech. Hmm. And when, when we look at the ripples, we tend to look at the ripples, but I don't know. My mind goes to what's in between the ripple. Mm -hmm. What's happening there? Who's going along for the ride mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, in, in that space? And sometimes we forget about that. And so that's, that pretty, that's pretty profound. I like that. I like that a lot. Um, so I have another question for you before we get sort of into the mainstream around recovery. Uh, you had something that you were talking about. I guess it was one of your TEDx talks and you started to talk about gratitude. And I, you know, it was very profound and I, I, I think it's worth repeating in some respect, you know, what does gratitude, where does gratitude come from in your view? You know, what, what is, what, and why is gratitude important? You know, uh, why do we have to be mindful of, of our gratitude, if you will? <laughs> well, yeah, I think one uh -huh. being grateful is a duty upon each of us. Mm -hmm. um, as we're walking around because it shows respect for, for others, um, who come into our life. I think that's, that's one. Mm -hmm. 
um, the TED talk you're referencing, the question or the prompt was, you know, how do we look at gratitude through a, a community lens? Mm -hmm. And for me, the, the, the thing that kept coming up was I landed in a community that I knew nobody. Mm. Mm -hmm. And, and so many people whom I didn't know showed up in ways that had never showed up in my life before. Mm. And it, it kicked off moments for me to think about different things of possibility. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of people said, well, David, you've got so much potential. Mm. You're, you're, some people would say, you're really, you're really smart. When I of course didn't think I was, you have so much potential, but there was never, never anything else beyond that. Mm. It wasn't until sitting down with some people and say, well, let's talk about potential. Mm -hmm. Let's actually explore the opportunities in front of you that you could take advantage of. Mm -hmm. That's mm -hmm. a different conversation. Right. right. I'm from the Midwest. So uh, passive aggressiveness is the way we sort mm. of live. Mm. But this was very different. And mm. there were people who just said, no, let's, let's actually explore. Mm this mm -hmm. opportunity. And so it's, it's mm -hmm. very difficult mm -hmm. to not mm -hmm. express a certain level of gratitude mm -hmm. to individuals, mm -hmm. to systems, mm -hmm. to other inanimate objects right. or tangible objects like, right. like a community, like a city. Yeah. They say that the, you know, the, the, the highest form of prayer is gratitude. And, you know, then the other thing that came up for me while you were talking was, you know, God moves mountains, but we have to bring the shovel. You know, and the whole idea of, you know, uh, a potential, you know, there's there's no, enormous potential, but unless we're really doing the work to go ahead and make, you know, things happen and having the gratitude along the way that really includes a lot of other people in that process, then, you yeah, know, it's a, it can be challenging. Yeah. And I'll just add to that. I think a lot of people um, think that the expression of gratitude has to be this big overt thing mm. and and it really doesn't sometimes it's just a matter of of even just showing up in, mm -hmm. in different places um because people will see you there mm -hmm. and and those people that matter um mm -hmm. they'll see that mm -hmm. as a notion and for me that's paid off um in in maintaining certain relationships mm -hmm. it's mm -hmm. helped me kick off my business it's helped me um continue to further what i think are the things we should be we should be doing to improve people's lives and it leads to um building out conversations like this right and, right. and seeing how we can we can have a further conversation to um explore what what could be possible for other people well this is uh this is great i i, I want to go back to um you know the recovery capital index and uh, really start to take a look at um where your perspective is because you've you've had the benefit of working with a lot of rehabs and a lot of conversations around recovery i mean this is the focal point of your business right yeah. and when we start looking at it there's a lot of other things that are i've had dr uh, alex uh, uh andrew tuktarski rather uh, on the show i had dr fred munch recently uh, who's uh, head of the partnership to end addiction and uh you know what we started talking about was uh really how the model has changed a bit and i'm wondering what your perspective is as we start to take a look at uh recovery and the use of harm reduction the use of psychedelics uh, mindfulness-based interventions as uh, alternatives 
to or in addition to as augmenting uh you know traditional rehabs and the sort of the 12-step model if you will that says you know it's our way of the highway you're sober or you're not and i'm just wondering what your perspective is about that yeah i'm i'm thrilled to see that there's a a mind shift around mm-hmm. or going beyond the binary um status quo of sober or not uh, I think that model has has harmed and frankly killed a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's wonderful. I, I, I think we're and I respect both uh, Dr. Uh, Tversky and, 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 and Dr. Bunch. Um, it's you know, to be included in kind of the same conversation with those two is, is, is gratifying. Mm-hmm. Um, I think where we're starting to have a, a much more nuanced and, and better conversation is to say, if we put well-being of individuals at the center of this conversation, mm-hmm. uh, if you ask somebody on the street what recovery is, they're not going to tell you. They don't know what it is. If you ask a doctor what recovery is, they're going to say, oh, did he break his arm? Fine. So it's the six mm-hmm. weeks <laughs> to get his arm healed again. Right. Great. Right. Um, so I think if we, if we fix our language a little bit mm-hmm. um, and we uh, strip away sort of these old traditional notions of what we think recovery is, um, we're going to move the needle towards looking at a human being or a population of human beings and say, what does this person need or what do these people want to improve their life? And now, now we've got to ask, okay, what does improve mean and what does life mean and all that sort of stuff. But um, now we can just look around our community and go, well, we can see who's not thriving. Mm. And I think where I'd like to see the conversation go is whether it's psychedelics or any other form of substance or medication Mm -hmm. that helps somebody go from a place of not thriving Mm -hmm. to thriving, Mm -hmm. let's do it. Let's get it right. Let's figure it out. But at the same time, I think we got to talk about in the harm reduction space, a very honest conversation that there are some people that just don't do well with alcohol or drugs and probably shouldn't. Right. And, right. and, and really talk about the toxicity mm-hmm. of what we do and put into us. And mm-hmm. if, if somebody through autonomy or life choice, that's the direction they want to go fine by it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think we do have to have a pretty open conversation about what it means for these toxic substances mm-hmm. right. and how they might limit human potential and human, human, human thriving. Right. So, you know, I, I, just to simplify that a little bit, I mean, uh, you know, and to sort of bring it into sort of everyday terms. I mean, if you're lactose intolerant, you're not going to go out and have a, a glass of milk, That's right. you know, I mean, you, or, or a Haagen-Dazs ice cream, you're not going to, or a pizza for that matter. You're going to, you, you know, you're going to go ahead and measure yourself. And there are people who, aren't able to go ahead and manage they're not able to be self-directed they're not able to go ahead and thrive as you said uh, in their lives uh, because of substances which really throw them psychologically physiologically you know uh, relationship wise everything wise uh, off base and and it seems to me that what you're saying is you know let's go ahead and look at the individual let's look at what they're you know if they need to read if, if they're not lactose intolerant do they need to reduce the amount of Haagen-Dazs that they eat? Maybe they do because they're just, you know, they've just gone wild, you know, 
I think I, I think that is absolutely <laughs> it. But the, the challenge is, yeah. um, when you go out into the environment mm -hmm. of marketing messages that are selling all the Hagen Dazs, right? And then you go to uh, a weekend out, and you're at the the state fair or something, mm -hmm. and it's Hagen Dazs everywhere, right? You know the 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 pivot point is how do we train people mm -hmm. to to be optimal in those environments? Right. That, that's be a little bit is. more mindful. Be a little bit more mindful. <laughs> be a bit more. Yes. Uh, that's that's probably the better way to think about it. Is how how do I prepare myself before going out into the world? Right. Because I know I'm going to see Hagen Dazs everywhere. Right. I, I I and I think one of the things that from a a medical technological standpoint that maybe we'll get to a place early on where, and this is gonna sound very sci-fi futuristic, but I think for myself, I would have loved to have known, did I have, because of my DNA or my my genes, um, a propensity toward mm -hmm. right. alcohol not being right for me? Right. And if that had been presented in a particular way, mm -hmm. would my family or myself make better choices? Right, and from a, and I, I think also with the way technology is today, and I think I'm waiting for these things to uh, come together. You know, whether or not it's Apple Watch or whether or not there's some other, um, you know, uh, 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 ability to go ahead and, and and measure your cardiology or your physiology. Just go ahead and say, okay, listen, I know my heart rate went up to you know 185 when I had that Hagen Dazs, and you know maybe I just need to back off of that a little bit and and maybe someone gives you a call and says hey are you all right have you you know is everything all right you know are you doing okay you know i mean i may may not want to take the call but still you, you know what yeah I'm saying, right? that's exactly it and that's that's kind of what we that was the the mm -hmm. um psychological thinking mm -hmm. that we embedded into the recovery capital index mm -hmm. if we could just get people to measure holistically their mm -hmm. life do an inventory do it on a regular basis right. and then if they chose to eliminate or reduce alcohol from their life or mm -hmm. other drugs um they could then see the effect of that change right that's beautiful and, and when they see that effect they go ah and for themselves they will they're like oh i, I should continue this alcohol mm -hmm. wasn't good for me My, mm -hmm. i'm now doing better Weight Watchers WW now has been doing this for 35, 40 years mm -hmm. and they've had to adapt and evolve, you know, with the times. Um, but it's the same principle, help people see the change mm -hmm. and tap into individuals own desire of intrinsic motivation to mm -hmm. be mindful and make good choices. Well, I feel a Mahatma Gandhi quote, you know, be the change you want to see. And, uh, you know, I feel that coming on and, uh, yeah. I think what you're doing is uh, is absolutely wonderful, David. Uh, so tell me and tell our listeners a little bit more about how they might get a hold of you and find out more about RCI, the Recovery Capital Index. Yeah, I think the best place to, to go is uh, recoverycapital.io. Mm -hmm. uh, you'll learn everything you need to know about recovery capital there. Mm -hmm. um, if you want to learn more about Commonly Well, which is, is sort of our, our placeholder company on that work, it's commonlywell.com. And then all my contact info is from there. But, uh, you know, I'm pretty active on, on LinkedIn. Uh, so, you know, yeah. find me, um, connect with me. And that's how we've reconnected. Uh, and right. so 
find, find me on LinkedIn. I think that's a pretty good place these days to, to find meaningful uh, connections. Excellent. So it's David Whitesock, W-H-I-T-E-S-O-C-K, and you'll find him on LinkedIn. And David, uh, this has been a great conversation about recovery and the Recovery Capital Index. And I really deeply appreciate the work you're doing. I think what you're doing is you're able to uh, help democratize the whole area of recovery and give a whole new meaning and a whole new fresh perspective to it as it relates to these uh, three areas and, and an emerging uh, area of uh, wellness and uh, well-being. So uh, thank you very much for all the work you're doing. Well, you're welcome. And thank you for the uh, kind words and the enlightening conversation, Keith. I'm uh, appreciative and grateful. Yeah, it's, it's good stuff. Okay. Talk to you soon. Thank you for being a part of the Mindfulness Experience podcast. I hope you enjoyed this show and the interesting conversation I had with David Whitesock. I hope he gave you some ideas into the Recovery Capital Index and how we can use technology to help individuals be the best people that they can possibly be. We have other exciting guests coming up on our show, and I hope you follow our podcast to connect, leave us a review, and suggest topics. I'd love to hear from you personally. Connect with me on my social media platforms. Visit my website at workmindfulness.com for more mindfulness experience moments. Thanks again. See you on the next show. Take care.